This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'm Shoho and I'm in Colorado and um, talking to you in California is the sweetest thing ever. Can you hear me? Is that connection working? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I'm not familiar with this format. I I would love to hear from you too. uh, Nico, are you facilitating if there's any question or anything? Yes, if you have any questions, just um, gasho or somehow indicate. You can use the um, um, little um, reaction icons as well and we'll figure it out. Awesome. And I'm here with Kokyo, who likes to hide, but he is here too. <laughs> and um, and uh, I'm just like really curious um, what gets anybody uh, at this time to come to a Dharma talk. And of course, on one side, it is um, incredibly uh like I'm saying, joyful to just see all these faces and familiar faces and environments. And um, there's no doubt about that. That just that alone is very heartwarming and it's uh, medicine, definitely. Um, and that we are in turbulent times is also pretty obvious to everybody, I believe. If it's not one thing, it's another that's knocking on our door and challenging. Uh, this pandemic and natural disasters and hurricane coming up and all of that. Um, and uh, yet we just chanted a text that said, um, on one side, the good news, there is no suffering. So, so that's really helpful to, to hear that there's from all this pressure and, you know, all the confusion, everything, there is a way out, there is a way of relief. But it also said there is no end of suffering and there is no attainment. So in a way, it is just, you know, raise again my question about like, what are we doing, <laughs> you know, coming together and reminding each other that there's no suffering, but also no end of suffering, you know. And, you know, including myself, I'm not sure how many other people are here, maybe to, you know, at least get a little bit of something out of this time we're spending together. I think it's a normal thing to do. Uh, of wanting wanting something, you know, wanting something. Uh, and yet this thing refreshing. So I'd love to hear if you, anybody wants to say why you're here. Um, when I uh, was running around myself and I had an encounter with Kogun, the founder of Chikochi, uh, he was helping me out seeing that um, gotta stop running around trying to get things and we got to stop running around thinking we have to get rid of things too like there's some kind of a stopping or some kind of um, release that's possible that's what I taught me over 20 years ago and um, for a while I thought me taking refuge taking the precepts you know doing um, so we not taking aspect of our path 
you know, becoming a priest in particular was for me like leaving home, right? Kind of really leaving the world. So um, I thought that was it, you know, just going to the ceremony and making these commitments and taking up the Bodhisattva vow, that that would be it. And if that's something that carries me and that would definitely deliver, you know, that kind of aspect. But again, there was just a sense of attainment in there for me, I confess. So 20 years later, I'm really like, yeah, I thought there's something to get after renouncing the world. There's something to get after stopping running around, you know, and, and I would think stopping running around would stop by itself too, just taking these vows. And um, as some of you probably all know, you know, this life is way more dynamic than just like a single actress doing something or one pill would change everything. I mean, things are very more complex and, um, you know, and if you think, still think one pill would solve everything or one, you know, act ceremony would overthrow our life, um, then I think we just have to admit that we, you know, we haven't looked thoroughly at what life is you know, the complexity of life or the complexity of, uh, of, of our being or our mind. Um, so renunciation in the sense, um, I want to invite us today to really look at can renunciation be, um, and for myself, can renunciation really be um, a disenchantment and utterly stepping back um, and really seeing everything as a dream, really arriving at the dream-like nature of things. Um, so we, that's kind of what the Heart Sutra was pointing at when it was talking about the mantra of, you know, like, uh, go beyond, go beyond this life, go beyond. Or, you know, the Dime Sutra, another personal parameter text to, you know, talks about everything the dream, like a bubble, like illusion. Um, and uh, just, yeah, I just really want to hear from you. Do you, are you able, have you, I'm talking to mature practitioners, you know, have you seen that dynamic of, you know, a hope and fear in your life, constantly being caught in, you know, fearing something and hoping for something else. And then that being able to step back and feeling disenchanted from that dance of running around between hope and fear and finding finding a place of release um, that would be able to um, find you the ease, some relaxation where you say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm uh, seeing it as a dream. <laughs> seeing this is, can't be really real. And um, anybody want to comment here? Comment, question, anything? Go ahead, Corinne. Show how. Hi, Corinne. Are you using the word? Hi. So good to see you. Are you using the word disenchanted as being caught? Enchanted as being caught? 
by the uh, myriad things of the world or yeah. some other um, implication or meaning of the word disenchant? No, I think you hit it on the head. The uh, very much disenchantment of like, we wanting to get something. Thank you. Even, yeah, exactly. So if maybe we're going to get something and we think we got it and then we're still feeling discontent or we want to get rid of something and even if it's gone, it's still not the heaven on earth that we thought it would be. So yeah, that, that form of disenchantment, exactly. To know this is running around hope and fear um, is, is really not it. <laughs> Any other? Can you talk about, or just, just uh, I'm addressing this idea of uh, the dream and the enchantment being either being uh, desiring for something to happen or for to, to acquire something or desire to make something stop happening or make something go away. Um, then how does this uh, idea of intent fit into this release of either um, you know, letting go of trying to acquire, letting go of trying to shed things. Uh, tell me how intent fits into that in, in the way you navigate the world. Thank you. I think it's a very great question. Thank you so much. Um, I think ultimately intent is very neutral. Like for example, you intend to get a sip of water or you know, or go to the restroom, it's like very neutral intentions that we have and that, that are flooding our mind constantly, if we want it or not, you know, just having a body and having a mind, these intentions are definitely are there and present. Um, what's in, in Buddhism being um, uh, centrifugal is kind of like a, a quality of intentment that's like a very heart-centered. Um, and that's in a kind of like the word aspiration. And I wish I would know more about the original um, Asian words for that, but uh, in English, I think the word aspiration is very poignant for that. And that aspiration is really something that's uh, maybe many of you, for example, those who who took vows, you know, that very much was like a very much a hard step of like I want to pick up something, I want to, you know, go beyond what's possible, you know, go beyond. I want to investigate into something. There's just that, that, but it's still an intention, but it's like, it's very much a heart-centered intention. Even sometimes maybe somebody coming along and saying, why are you doing, why are you sitting there for hours and facing the wall, you know? And you're like, well, I, I don't know. I just really want to, you know, my heart wants to, I, you know, that's it, it, a hard intention. So there's maybe a differentiation or another quality. And um, then there's this purity in Buddhism. Um, they're saying with intention um, in general, is the more you shape your intentions um, towards how reality truly is, the more that reality will come forward. Because all, everything that's in the way of how things truly are is really just, um, it's adventitious, like it's temporary, it, you know, all confusion is temporary. So um, our wisdom, our true, um, you know, aspiration, our true intention, it's already fulfilled right here. You know, it's already, we're already manifesting it. Um, and it's just our, and fully understanding it and fully being it and fully acting on it 
Um, so that's that's where the aspiration comes in. That's where you know the feedback of sangha comes in, the teachings coming in. Um, there's a lot of intention right there. These are all words, intentions, directions, pointers um, that help kind of opening or loosening the cloud of yeah, adventitious stains of these you know, of these um, confusions that we can find ourselves in. You know, and from our side, the Buddhists probably would all say, you guys are doing fine, you know. From our side, we're just constantly caught up into like, oh, was I doing it right? Was I like really fooling my intention? I, I saw a little bit of grasping there, you know, it must be really bad. You know, we're just constantly caught up in good and bad, so to speak, that it's really hard for us to like find, um, find kind of uh, confidence and certainty. But actually, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this talk to if there's no if we're clear about the um letting like the renunciation part then i would go on okay um, because the next step is really faith and faith is um not you know here like this we have so much package still from our upbringing of how we were you know brought up to approach religion, to approach um, the beyond, to approach that which is transcendent, you know, um, even that's like all words already that are kind of really are distorted by um, uh, one of our teacher calls it the Abrahamic residue, like from the, you know, Abrahamic religions where we, you know, just have some sense of like, um, it's over there and I'm over here and I'm really bad and this is really good. And so you have to kind of find a bridge. And so transcendence gets really like, that, that word already bears so much pain in itself, even though it's a very neutral word, but it has been distorted by these Abrahamic religions that like you really made it really hard in this very life to wake up. They always just talk about the afterlife as being like more easier or whatnot in the mercy of something higher power. But like Buddhism is very different in that way where it really talks about here right here you can really realize in this moment and this life you know um and and it, there's a possibility here and we don't you know the good bad thing just give it a break you know so buddhism is very much encouraging us to you know have faith in a in a firm of certainty you know not just like confidence confidence kind of like i have confidence my car would work because you know it has gas in it the mechanic says it's good so I'm having that kind of confidence, but it's kind of a certainty where you're like, I know, <laughs> I know I'm going to die. That's like, for example, a certainty, you know, I'm pretty certain I'm going to die. <laughs> so that kind of certainty to have, I'm really certain I'm going to wake up from this life. I'm really certain that there's an end of suffering and, you know, not only an end of suffering because it's, I'm certain there is suffering. So if you're certain there is suffering, then you also want to be certain that there's an end of suffering because they both go together, they're just not separate from each other. Yeah. So in this way, it's, uh, that faith um, is a strength, that kind of certainty of like, right here in this life, able to wake up, there's able to, to be free of confusion, not like for the next day today, not like the next hour, in this hour, in this minute, you are able to have a clarity, that kind of certainty. And um, add to that kind of certainty, um, 
a sense of energy, you know, like I'm kind of demonstrating, you're kind of like, you're making me have, have me right now to have that energy because like for myself, no, and it's easy to sit in one's room and be like, um, I guess I'm certain, I'm not sure, but it's true if one talks with other people and that's where Sangha is really helpful, you know, and kind of really looks at, yeah, I'm actually, I'm really certain about that. There is like, you know, we help each other to, you know, find that. And that's maybe one of the reasons we, we come together here. You know, so having that certainty, having that energy of like, you know, there is freedom from confusion, you know, there is clarity, there's wisdom, there's love, there's transcendence in the loving way, in the, in the vast way. Um, so, and bringing that mindfulness, it, the container of mindfulness that comes in the forms, you know, of like, you know, where your feet are, you know, where, how your body feels, you know, you, you know, you're aware of yourself, a certain awareness. That, that these are like forces that, that come together that kind of um, together with two other elements that I'm going to talk about in a minute they talk about the golden robe in Zen you know I feel almost feel like that's a golden robe because it that cloaks you all the time it carries you it is with you it's that kind of you know certainty the energy behind it and the mindfulness of yourself your life and the present moment that's like qualities that really carry and um, that um, have power and the power becomes stronger and stronger um, so the next two elements are these five that's here the five strengths the next is concentration and wisdom and I, first i'll talk about concentration i want you to just be uh, right now um, look you're maybe focusing on the screen or the camera <laughs> You know, you're looking at something, you're having a certain direction. So right now I would just like to invite you in order to explore concentration, be aware of the space between the camera and yourself. Be aware of that space. Be aware between space between you and the camera and the screen. So that kind of concentration, that kind of open field in which cameras show up, Paces show up, you know, body show up, sound shows up, but there's this amazing field of space. Being aware of that space and concentrating, concentration. I think concentration narrows down on something, on things, but actually concentration in Zen particular is very open. It's that you're resting in a space, you're resting in where things can appear. So that kind of concentration, that kind of field of awareness, like having a vast field of awareness. So again, like be aware of that field between you and the camera. And out of this field, out of this is a field of concentration, out of this wisdom arises. So the teaching always talk about, well, the wisdom of the Buddha, it comes out of concentration, shamatha uh, and Vipassana go together. Um, out of samadhi comes wisdom. There is a certain correlation. And what's that correlation right now? The correlation right now is in the question of like, um, is awareness present? And if there's awareness present, whose awareness is it? Whoever's awareness it would be, it would be something in the field, in the space. Yeah. And it comes and goes. And uh, we're joining it all together. There's no separation between us. 
So having that wisdom, having that certainty that it's accessible in every moment, that there's a freedom, um, a connection, and, and definitely lots of love. I can, I can see it. <laughs> it's happening between us in this field. There's luminosity. Um, and it's the coming and going of, of many, many beautiful events. It's kind of this little bit of a break of like conceptual thinking for sure that, that helps encourage that. So I'm definitely inviting you to come forward or asking any questions at this time. Hi, Shoko. Hi, Kavi. Hi. My, uh, my Dharma name is Open Field. Uh, yeah, and uh, I was very tight when I started Zen. So my teacher gave me this name as a gift, I think. He didn't tell me that. But at the same time, in that tightness, there was a lot of space when I was sitting. Mm. And uh, as you say, in that space, as years go on, there's like a disappearing and appearing that uh, sometimes happens, you, you know it's happening, the disappearing and that appearing. Uh, and, you know, what I want to say is, um, you know, at the same time that there's this uh, uh, this uh, disengagement from the world, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of beauty in the world that when we, uh, like I give an example. Last night I was watching this video of, uh, we lost our cocker Spanish <laughs> and uh, I was watching this video on YouTube of this farm where they have a lot of Cocker Spaniels. Um, it was like crazy. They were like running around and this guy was picking them up and kissing them. And there was so much love. So like when you step out, I think this is also maybe, I don't know if Buddha said this or not. I, I'm interested in what you say about it. But when you step out of yourself, you find this space of love with other beings, especially when you, like that man was in heaven, <laughs> was in heaven. He was picking up these dogs and kissing them. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'm rambling. So I, I just feel like there's, uh, there's a lot of beauty in life also. So it's not like, it's not like nihilistic. It's just that life comes and goes comes and goes, you know. Uh, there's a song, uh, if I just remember it, I say it as a poem. Um, Rest that this song of kindness will remain as long as there's, song, there's, there's a song of wind and rain. Mm. We could be gone, but 
but others will join in our coming and going with many countless beings that came before us. But I have some kind of uh, faith, maybe the planet will disappear, I don't know, but I have some kind of faith that, you know, others will get to enjoy this beauty that we enjoyed and we joined in that with them. If you could, you know, I, I guess my question to you is, like this, enga this, this engagement that Buddha talked about, is appreciation of beauty and love, how does that fit into it? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kav. That's a wonderful question. And um, I really appreciate the contribution of sharing, um, you know, because you, what I hear you speak, I speak, you talk about Buddha nature. And, and I, I feel like the proof of Buddha nature, the, the fact that even, you know, in the darkest corner of the world, you can find Buddha nature. It says always kindness. You can always find kindness, you know. Like even, you know, if you like envision like somebody horrendously just narrow-mindedly, you know, following their own desires, they have something they love. And if it's pizza, you know, there's something that they're like, you know, uh, hot about, you know, and, if it, they, and they think they're doing a good job. Everybody thinks they're doing a good job. So there is kind of like um, a, um, a really a shared um, um, natureness. Um, when I say humanness, but it actually can even, like you said about the dogs, you can see it in animals too, right? This kind of kindness. So there's a shared natureness among all of us um, that, that is just kindness and that is love. And, uh, and it's actually our job. So after we did this whole journey, so what you're talking about, Kavi, is actually the next step. After you do the whole journey of we are disenchanted with the world, we're not, you know, not falling into um, hope and fear. We're like having faith and conviction, yeah, energy and mindfulness. We're having some form of concentration wisdom that's coming through listening, reflecting and meditating. Um, then the next step is really to see that love, that kindness everywhere, in every situation. That's kind of like looking for and reconnecting and making a connection. That's like the canon doko of daily life, kind of speak. When Zen is kind of, you know, the teacher and the student appear and the transmission is happening. What transmission is happening? The recognizing of our true nature. You know, you can see the recognition in animals, as best place to start <laughs> then start with your loved ones and your teacher the best you know and in yourself of course see in your own self your kindness your best intention see that in yourself and see this is your true nature acting wanting to act wanting to be in this world um, in your teacher in your sangha and then slowly expand to like the person in the shopping mall a neutral person you know and then uh, even like the horrendous person that you know that's annoying you and blocking you can you see even there see kindness can you see how kindness is pervading all of life and making this dream making this bubble that is happening actually be a teaching bubble it's like it's a kind bubble it wants something from us it's not like we are in this like again there's some kind of Abrahamic residue where we think we're like in this kind of void and we have to do all these things in order to connect with you know some kind of force that's beyond, you know, it's right here, kindness is happening and it's playing with us. It's inviting us to play with it. It's inviting us, 
you know, somebody cuts your line, you know, on the freeway or whatever, uh, cuts you or whatever, can that be like, oh, thank you, you're catching me, I wasn't mindful, you know, I'm like, now I'm back, you know, can that be, you know, something that's good, you know, and that's where I want to also hear more question on you, because I can see sometimes it sure doesn't feel like that. <laughs> so, and there's still a lot to be said here, if anybody wants to say. Um, I'd like to add something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please. Um, so regarding this question of um, if the Buddha taught disenchantment or disengagement, then how does beauty and appreciation of that which is beautiful fit into it? And um, I see it as that uh, appreciation of beauty is not exclusive of um, being disenchanted with it. I think, um, I think what the Buddha meant was to not be attached to that beauty once uh, it has passed. So thinking of it like uh, seeing a beautiful sunset and then you see this beautiful sunset um, uh, in the ocean and all the different colors and it's just so marvelous. But then when it is gone, you don't want it to happen again because there's this certainty that, oh, it's gonna be there tomorrow as well. But that's not true for other things. Uh, you can uh, be attached to a certain beautiful thing and appreciate it a lot, but want, want it back again and again, want it back tomorrow or want it back when you want to. But if you are disenchanted with it, if you are unattached to it, you just take it for what it is and then let it go. So um, that, that is kind of my, understanding yeah that that's i appreciate you saying that and i, I want to highlight in that uh kind that um that you also get to cry at the sunset too if it's really beautiful it moves you so disenchantment doesn't really mean you don't have any feelings uh but like you're saying there is like um not having an expectation that it will happen as moving the next time around or it will happen again at all um, but we definitely get to be moved by it. Even if something horrendous is happening, we get to cry about it. If somebody dies, that's the most appropriate response yeah, to do is to really cry and feel the grief. So if you, like disenchantment wouldn't be a disenchantment where you do not feel. Um, in fact, you feel a lot, you know, you feel the entire world. You feel what's happening is moving you, but you can move on, like you're saying, that's, that's I totally agree with you. You can move on more easily. You're ready for the next thing. Yeah, definitely. That totally agree with you. Yeah. Anybody else having? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, I have a, a question about um, the nature of effort. And there's obviously effort in in zazen, and when we sit and we go to shashin or whatever. There's also effort in life, whatever we do. And with that effort, there always seems to be expectation. Mm -hmm. And is there a sense of expectation that, I don't know, I don't know quite the word healthy or are not make us more deluded or carry us off into fantasy because it, it can be it, it, sometimes I think that can carry me off into into a, um, I don't know but dream world is the right way of saying it but you know uh, expectations with 
um, you really, you want something. So yeah, effort and expectation. That's my basic question. And it pervades so many things of, of living. Right, right. Maybe there's oh, a whole lecture with that. I don't know, maybe it's... <laughs> it is, and, 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 and you maybe even just speak that lecture because I feel that you have a lot of experience there. Um, what comes to mind to me is like, it's definitely something we are raised in. Um, in this culture in particular, like, you know, you gotta make effort and you gotta harvest the fruits of your effort. Um, working, you know, mentality and all of that. And there's something, there has, there's a place for that. Um, but we're saying about expectations, man, just like that's exactly um, the difficult, I've, I've made a difficulty on this path because like, like as soon as you hear something, just like the word enlightenment, yes, like there's, you know, some concreteness that comes along with it. It's something utterly not, not complete as far as I understand, but the, the, there is, we think in terms of concreteness. I am here, something else is over there. So of course, watching cause and effect, you know, if you plant and we water something and give it a good conditions, we expect that there's, you know, something coming out of it. We have watched cause and effect. And so, and then we need it. The whole teaching say we need to rely on cause and effect. We need to um, really uh, trust it, really trust it. So expectation has totally its place that mm -hmm. if you, or okay, I have the choice between sitting down and practicing or, you know, watching another, or distracting myself in some way or another. Um, um, that one, like the one you might feel more content afterwards than the other. So there is like, um, so effort. Um, there, is, there is this whole body of, I would say, morality is a bad word, but kind of um, uh, in that sense, because, but it's kind of like a, a form body it's kind of a form body um, mm. that you go mm. into that's cause and effect and and we need that form body so because we are maturing out of our habitual patterns into another form body and yeah and we get to expect that if you put fruit and energy into it that it will mature and uh, and without that you might not engage in this path so yes i'm saying that has i'm actually like finding myself completely for effort expectation at the same time i burned myself so often expecting something mm -hmm. and it's like you did too so otherwise you wouldn't bring up the question so yeah there is so often like i put this in nothing comes out i feel totally down you know i mm -hmm. put so much effort into yeah so i feel particularly because it's our habit is so strong of wanting to um know trusting cause and effect so much that um we um need to use it actually rather than being like oh um these expectations that constantly burn me um what about using this um effort body this um disciplinary body and using it um to study how is it that um cause and effect works how is it that um the Buddha's eye at ease in the midst of hell, for example, you know, <laughs> like if I'm constantly feel burned, then I have, I guess, an expectation I won't be in hell after I'm making all much effort. 
but somehow the Buddhists are happy to be in hell and they're totally at ease. So then, then rather than like, well, let me try not to get, end up in hell is what I'm doing. How about studying how come that Buddhists are in hell and they can be totally at ease? You know what I'm saying? How does it respond to what I'm saying to you? Thank you. I mean, there is this beautiful poem by Shantideva who's saying the Buddhas dive into hell like the swan into a lake. There is a certain, um, they're looking forward to it. They're looking forward to a moment of um, unease, so to speak. <laughs> it's because it's a rare thing for them. They're so blissed out. And that unease moment is just like, you know, so what does it mean for us? We are like constantly have a lot of unease. So of course, we rather looking for ease. So for us, it's mostly, I guess, the sense of like, how is it that I'm not be caught in, in the tension between looking for ease and wanting to get away from unease? How is it that, I'm, that I can find ease in unease and ease in ease? Can I like really get my taste bud for it that I'm not constantly thinking in a linear way that I'm making this effort and something comes out of it in the future, but rather right here in the middle of where I am, everything is complete and it feels like total unease and total like discontent, but it is the greatest bliss of earth. So that kind of completeness, how can I find completeness in this moment? And that's where like study comes in a lot. So if you follow the sutras, if you look into sutras or in particular in the Madhyamika teachings, um, there's a lot of there to, to explore. Do you have anything to say about that? No. Focus <laughs> time to hide. <laughs> yes. Anybody want to say something? Um, I, I just wanted to add something to that. Yeah. Um, this, this discussion of effort kind of reminds me of the Tao Te Ching. Uh, in the Tao Te Ching, uh, they also talk about effortless living and um, to, to wait, to wait uh, for, to wait for the right action to arise by itself. Uh, and they kind of like, talk about, they talk about um, this state, the state where one is in total, uh, is totally content. And, and that is why uh, there is no expectation. And I guess like the expectation which arises in us kind of arises out of our discontentment. And if one is in this state of contentment, then the action that arises automatically arises without expectation. And so uh, it kind of makes me think that, but the fact that I am discontent and the actions that arise in me do arise out of expectation, then how do you reach the state of total um, contentment? And I guess, I guess the, I guess like it's kind of like what you said, the last part you said, which is like looking into our ease and dis-ease and figuring out how is it that the ease is so, the dis-ease is uh, not good or how is it that the ease is, 
is so so fine or how is it that the buddha is totally content in hell so who yeah sorry Corey. yeah don't can we not find ease in unease just by not resisting in on the question or otherwise when situations or feelings of uh, fear or whatever negative emotions come up the instruction is to let it be to not resist it and the unease comes from the reaction so really in every moment there can be ease with unease yes mm-hmm. uh, I'm like the resistance is the trigger yes I think you're completely correct. And at the same time, I'm realizing and that's, um, that's what the uh, wisdom of this discussion really in Sangha really, I'm feeling the treasure of Sangha treasure really very vibrant right now. Because I feel like, you know, as soon as you set up, all these instructions are correct. Plus, you know, the wisdom, they're coming out of wisdom. And all instructions are meant to alleviate suffering. That's the main point of any instruction, any teaching, very different. But I can see how uh, it is that like Zen always like it's a sudden pass because they don't want to get into instructions. Because as soon as you set an instruction, you're setting up expectations. I mean, there's just no way around it. As soon as you're like, okay, you know, I have unease, so just don't resist it and it will be gone. There's just like already an expectation, right? And you're already making an effort in some kind of cause and effect thing. And that's why Zen, in many ways, like really crowns itself in the uh, Madhyamika teachings because they are just like very strict about it's just this moment. It's just this moment, you know, don't even think about the next moment. It's just this moment and, and dive into this moment. Of course, you know, um, many of you and, and um, have studied many, many years and, um, and, um, and there is this kind of like, okay, I did this moment. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I, I have done it. <laughs> I have been in this moment. And <laughs> that's, you know, there's just like a certain kind of restlessness. I, I, I totally emphasize. And, um, and, it, and it has been um, always kind of like stalling me in the past that the greatest teaching of... Um, the Buddhas could be that they just cry <laughs> because, <laughs> because like, again, we are like, we are these childish beings. We just, as soon as we hear about something that sounds good, we go for it and we're trying to get something out of it or we try to get away from something. Um, and so the, the teaching of the just be in the present moment to just really be here for all eon and eternity 
it can actually sound pretty devastating from some angle, you know, because it's like, it's like, what is this more? <laughs> it, it's like, it's kind of like this crashing down of all, everything we ever wanted, you know, <laughs> just the very effort of showing up to this club, you know, I mean, <laughs> if it's just like, oh, we're just here together in this moment. But at the same time, our just being here in this present moment has like, yeah. without control of any of us, nobody has been able to control it again. It has been quite pleasant for my day. It has been for you to tell me because you're part of this moment and I really want to hear from you. Yeah. And we all want to hear from you. Uh, but it is a shared moment and it's and we are all making this moment and um, and it's com complete. <laughs> to get here, nothing to be taken away from it. And six days, you know, Well, if you um, if there's no resistance, then clarity. If if there's no resistance, then clarity, the possibility of clarity. Uh, you muted yourself, Corinne. I mute and unmute <laughs> unwittingly here. Um, what I'm, I'm uh, considering is that when there's no, if you're able to meet the situation with no resistance, then the, there's a strong possibility of clarity arising of what's actually going on. And then if there's clarity, a response from your, uh, your deepest self is possible. And uh, it's not that you don't respond, but a, a response that's most appropriate can arise. And then that will, you know, unfold as it will, but the possibility of it uh, being in tune with everything that's arising and wanting to move in a positive way uh, is stronger. Thank you for sharing, Corinne. That's great. And it sounds like it really works for you. Thank you. Kathy? This brings a question to my mind. I think that was very profound what Corrine just said. And my question is, um, if one is totally not resisting, is that a form of enlightenment? Well, if enlightenment had a form, it might be a form. <laughs> um, but it's, um, I, I just really love um, Randy's question still of like, uh, I'll take effort and not have expectations. You know, if I were to tell you, this is like, uh, this is it, just do this one method. You know, we are back in, 
having expectations or having a certain um, um, understanding that we like co like cloak ourselves in. So how do we be exposed to the golden wind and not um, cloak ourselves in concepts and stories? Um, I mean, we thrive on stories. We thrive on, um, we need it. We need it with our life. You know, we need stories. Um, but to tell you, yes, just don't resist. Try out non-resistance, you know, just feel what kind of action come out of it. Like Corinne is saying, there's some clarity there. And I feel that that really is the you know, really um, mature way of, of, of practice. Um, um, but are we saying, oh, this is, a, is that the end point? I'm not I feel saying that. I'm yeah. Our, when, when we have an experience of acceptance or non-resistance, is that like having a mini awakening? Yeah, I mean, like, how, how does a pond compare to the ocean? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it's water, <laughs> it's water and we need it. Yeah, but I think enlightenment itself is just like, wow, it's just, we know it. I mean, it's just happening and, and it's good to be accepting and it's good to be not resisting and, and it, it's totally gateway, gateways. That's why they're talking about gateways, um, gateways towards, you know, the gateless, so to speak, you know, it's, it's like, again, I think we are here just very much. Um, maybe what we may, mostly can do is really just some form of confession, where we um, a crope and approach, you know, this um, massive, spacious, loving being that we are, and we express it, and and you, uh, you can express. So today you express this question: Is this enlightenment? as a question tomorrow I might express it as like yeah I know I know that my moments of um, um, non-resistance and my moments of acceptance they are they are good <laughs> you know it just well, keep watering those because they are they are really important they are really important and we need that confidence we need to say yes I'm having confidence in non-resistance I'm having confidence and acceptance. These are really, they're just like, there is something there for me that's changing my life and keep watering those and don't worry about endpoints. Or when you said you didn't mean about endpoints, but in generally that whole idea of expect anything that raises expectations. So yeah, what I hear in our discussion say, just to sum it up is there's on one point, this really what I, Randy, what I really hope you keep as a question you know, how to make effort, not having expectations, you know, just have that open question. And then the other one of like, I'm having confidence, I'm doing X, Y, and C, and I'm having totally confidence in it. And those parallel with each other are just like really fast tracking the whole situation for sure. Not sure we're doing any questions, concerns, anything? you say a bit about um, the uh, the prajna paramita that we decided the gate gate para gate para sam gate bodhi swaha um, 
what do they mean uh, by that? The gate gate para gate. Uh, okay, I think kind of the translation from Sanskrit is um, go beyond, go beyond, go utterly beyond. And Swaha is kind of like an exclamation, so it is. Um, so go in a way, it's beautiful while this is just like a translation and there's just more in it. The reason it's never, those things are never being translated mantras are because they are to be they kind of mind protectors, kind of mantras, kind of the word mind protection. So to to keep saying gate gate for yourself, for example, is in itself a methodology to not get stuck in any corners, like not get stuck in expectation or in resistance or anything. But it's like this constant reminder of there's something beyond, you know. So you have a moment, this moment is a certain mandala of, you know, hopes, fears, expectations. Uh, concerns, uh, needs, intentions, aspirations, you know, so this is what's happening for us. And in, and if you put the seed in there of, let's say, this mantra of gate gate, uh, if you put in the seed uh, of aspiration, you know, may all beings be happy for, may I reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. These are kind of seeds that go in this kind of um, mandala of our being. Um, and it, in that itself, it will mature. We don't need to do anything about it. It just in and of itself protects our mind to keep on track, to keep um, our in, innermost concern, um, our heart, our Buddha nature, to maturity. So that's kind of the power of mantra or the power of that kind of practice to keep reminding ourselves that um, there's more, um, more to be um, uh, have or uh, develop, like we said earlier, it's a space in which things come and go. Um, yeah, I'm seeing we are time-wise and people are leaving. Do should we do a chant? If there's no other question. Yes, uh, we here at Tikoji have heard our lunch bell. Yeah. And so we'll we'll break away. You may continue your discussion. Nico, I believe, will continue to host. Uh, thank you very much. Thank and, you. Uh, may our intentions be and to every being and place with the true merit of Buddhist way. These are numberless. I vow to see them. Conditions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Karma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is most possible. I vow to become it. Thank you very much for coming. Thank, Thank you, Shoho. Hosting all of this. Thank you. Thank you, Shoho. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best. Thank you, Shoho. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you, and thank you, all the others who shared. It was very helpful. Thank you. Shoho, be well. Be well, too. Thank you.
Thank you, Pamela. I think I just saw you do the. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you. No other question. I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shoho, thank you so much for the talk. I really appreciate it. And uh, so um, I was just ordained at Jokoji like two weeks ago. And I've been really exploring, you know, I, I don't think I had any expectations about what, what it would be. It was much more than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> much you know, huge. the expectations are over, over, yeah. You but then, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, deep in the deep end here, <laughs> wet. Um, but one of the things that's come up is I realize I don't see it as um, a positive or a negative, but I feel very, like, uh, I don't know, really pulled or called to want to help. And of course, I've that for years and but it I don't know if it's really a desire it's not doesn't feel like a desire it feels like not something that I'm attached to I'm just trying to navigate it because it feels so strong since the ordination like um, and it's not it doesn't feel like a desire like something that I should be either avoiding or approaching but I feel so strongly about it that it's a little uh, stunning <laughs> and I want to about what you desire is like what kind of help I'm sorry, you just broke up. Say that again, what kind, what kind of help are you feeling that you want to provide? Um, I just want to show up. Show up. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like help, like I need to go help, help. It just means I feel really strongly about meeting the moment, which of course I always felt, but it feels very different. And I wondered, you know, what the hell's that? <laughs> I feel we wanting to meet the moment is probably is code word for wanting to fully understand the moment, ultimately speaking. <laughs> and wanting to fully understand the moment is to want you know, to fully reach out enlightenment. I mean, that's your bodhicitta is is very active and that's beautiful. Bodhicitta being the mind of awakening, the mind that wants to reach awakening for the benefit of others. Yeah, it's just a question sounds like for you, well, how does this, you know, particularly now you're in a pandemic, you know, like how would even manifest, you know, uh, what does showing up mean now? Um, yeah, and that's, that's where you need to see what, how in your situation. And then and in a way, to have it as a question is the best way, you know, because as long as the question is an opening, and then, and then it can come forward and can say, "Please, Pamela, come, come this way, <laughs> come this way." Um, you have priest ordination, yeah, yeah. Priest ordination definitely includes learning and study. So, yeah, is there you have anything or any like um, question about the Buddha Dharma or any particular area that you want to explore? I would totally you know, recommend you go deeper, you know, look for a mentor, look for the books, look for, you know, look for these things that help you study, you know, and make it a daily thing when you besides sitting to have another period of study. 
because that's what you're gonna need from you is you know for you to to be really comfortable and in in your wow in your in your car in your nature and thank you yeah thank you all the best that's really beautiful I feel very touched yes um a couple of things so actually thank you very much for your uh, the way you you gave this talk and you kind of coaxed uh things from the song call, and then you kind of rolled with it it was very nice to see it was very lovely yeah thank you, thank uh, you. i want to uh one thing angie uh my teacher is angie boisivan boisivan I can't pronounce her name, but uh, uh, one thing, Angie. There's two things she told me. I wanna, uh, I wanna say. Uh, one is, uh, I was talking to her like in some junctures in my life. Actually, many junctures in my life where people came out of nowhere and helped me. And they are not dormant practitioners, at least on the, on the surface. They, you know, and actually they taught me many times more than my teachers, I, I, I have to say. At key points, they, they uh, because it was, uh, because it was very intimate and it was like given like from their heart directly to my heart. And uh, she told me those were not ordinary beings. So Buddhas, Buddhas appear in all kinds of, or Bodhisattvas maybe I should say, that's what I understood her to be telling me. They appear in all kinds of guises. They do, and... Um... And in, in a way, it, um, there is this uh, admonishment, particularly uh, um, me living in Nepal, there was always this admonishment of like, wherever you see, if it's a beggar or, you know. Yes, yes. Yes. You know, watch out, there could be a Buddha testing you. Yes, you know? actually, the one case, it was actually a beggar under a bridge in, in Oakland. Yes, out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and, and then the other thing is, at the end of end of Kenjo Kwan, mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly. I mean, you and Koki were sitting next to you hiding, would know. And uh, at the end of Kenjo Kwan, there's a cone uh, where, if unless I'm mistaken, if I'm mistaken, please one of you correct me because I haven't read it for a long time. But Angie just went like this to me. She found, and I think that cone says. Uh, you've understood that there's an exchange between the student and the teacher and the student expresses his understanding of the nature of wind being permanent or awareness being permanent. And the teacher just fans and he says, what are you fanning? And he says, you've understood that the nature of wind is permanent, but you haven't understood that it permeates everywhere. So I understood that from Angie to mean that post awakening, this practice is what awakening actually is. It's like, it's like uh, 
is no arriving, arriving place. And we can all find this, do this fan of practice. You know, there's no, uh, there's no graduation point, even for Buddhas. <laughs> That's what I, she just went, you know, and, and I also understood that she told me like practice is physical. It's not like another way that Lady expressed Corinne expressed so beautifully, but it's like not uh, your head judging whether you're practicing or not. But oh, there's a deer behind you. <laughs> okay. It told, the deer told me to shut up. Please, please. Okay. I got it. It's walking out of the window. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah. There's no arriving point. There's a lot of magic for sure. And, um, you know, like in many ways, we like, like I'm saying, we're still battling this kind of Abrahamic residue thing, which definitely talked about an arriving point. You go into heaven you'll be with god for eternity and that sounds like it's like a great arriving point um uh and so the this is like the story you're telling is like the total antidote for that which is kind of like no it's just like you know you continuously ban um and yet at the same time um we can wish and pray that it's going to be made easy for us i mean the whole um um, wanting, I mean, it's one thing to find ourselves in very uncomfortable times and a lot of suffering that's probably got most of us on the path. Um, but uh, we can wish for, they call it the pure land in the traditions, you know, um, which is basically like, the, like we can wish for the nature to come forward and meet us. Like we don't have to be like this sinful person who has to like sneak their way into heaven somehow. It can ask, please have heaven be right, right here, right now, please, you know. So, and um, and that is the fan too. So fanning doesn't necessarily mean you have to like torture yourself, you know, and do all kinds of efforts and striving and sit night sit and you know. But it can be this general wish out of devotion, this devotion. To, you know, to know awakening is possible and out of awakening is possible to please the Buddhas come right here and make it possible for us in this very lifetime um, yeah, and beyond like many lifetimes, whatever your faith is. Um, so yeah, no, I feel fanning, fanning has multiple forms and it doesn't have to be effortful. It can be, it can be a joyful thing. It can be a joyful fanning. <laughs> But it is a continuously being aware. This is a present moment. Uh, it's a precious moment. And um, yeah. Yeah. I see that Hogan is trying to um, speak. Yeah. Hogan. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alone in the Zendo, so I got to pull off the mask, which is, oh, I like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a strong reaction that I wanted to share, um, yeah. having to do with Kave uh, speaking about, I think, some advice that Angie had given him about um, um, be keep an eye out for other people um, that you run across. They may be Buddhas. And I had a very strong reaction, which is, no, keep an eye on what your assumptions are about 
who you run into. It's not that you're looking for Buddha. Buddhas are everywhere and in everything and in yourself at all times. Be always checking in to see whether or not you're assuming otherwise. Um, that's what struck me. I'm not saying it's right or true, but I had, and then also Shoho a moment ago, I, I thought I heard you saying, oh, Buddhas, please come and arrive and do something. No, hello, uh, this is all we get. This is all we get. It's, it's, it's the thing that's happening for me. It's in the awareness that you're all there and there's no Buddhas arriving people. Mommy's not coming to save us. It's, this is us. We can do it. And it doesn't feel that way all the time. I, and I'd like to segue into telling a story of my yesterday, what I remember of my yesterday. Um, my, uh, my sweetheart Monica and I had made a plan whereby she was going to drive to a friend's house and I was going to ride my bicycle to a friend's house and meet there so that I could stash the bicycle there. So we get out of sight of one another and it's a short way, half a mile. And as I'm riding down the street, I see, oh, there's a pile of free stuff on the sidewalk. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go over to the free stuff and take a look because I'm a total junkie for free stuff in Oakland. It's just such fun, I can't help myself. And so I pull over and I've got this tension in me by Oh, I'm supposed to be going forward to meet Monica. She's going to be at Robert's place waiting for me. So I got to be quick. I got to be deaf. So I dip into the free things. And I, and I look, there's this big yellow plastic bin of things next to a couple boxes that say free. And I look and I look and push things around a little bit. And oh, there's a lot of cool stuff, but I'm really short on time. But there's this one beautiful little yellow toy car. I'm, I took it out and I set it on, set it right in front of the bin on the sidewalk. Because I thought some child walking past will see it easily and not have to rummage through. And, and I thought, and okay, and I got to go because Monica's waiting for me. And I, and I got back on my bicycle and I started to, to, to edge towards the street again. And I was passing between the cars that were parked right there, slowly getting on my bicycle. And unbeknownst to me, there was someone sitting in this car, someone in this big pickup truck. And right as I moved past, he blasted his horn at me. He blasted at me and I turned around surprised. And he got out of the truck and he started cursing at me for messing with his stuff, for making a mess and leaving. And I was completely thrown off balance, thrown off balance. And I, uh, of course, I just felt, ouch, and I'm scared. And of course, out of many habits and conditionings, I, I felt some aggression. But out of some other conditioning, I thought, okay, I've got to channel this aggression to something. I'm going to try to be positive and helpful with this guy. And the best I can do is, oh, I, I'm so sorry you're having a bad day. And of course, it, it wasn't helpful. You know, <laughs> I'm sure he like who are you to tell me what kind of day I'm having? You pain in the ass. Yeah. And, but it, it churned me up entirely. And, and then I, I, I might've said a couple of other things that I'm sure were completely useless, but probably not too blameful. You know, I wasn't terrible, but, and, and then I got on, I got on my bike and finished the ride and found Monica. 
and stashed the bicycle. And uh, she said, don't you want to talk to Robert? I said, no, I don't have the bandwidth for that. because I need to talk to you and tell you about what just happened. And uh, so I had the great fortune to have her listen to my story just then and share, you know, the, the flutter in my chest and, the, and, and, and it confessed that there was part of me that I want to go back right now and turn over that big pile of garbage and vandalize his car, you know, I'm just totally stirred up. And, uh, and this discussion and being settled in and with kind and uh, curious and introspective people makes me realize I, uh, makes me realize that there's more, there's more to have been curious about in that moment when that fellow appeared, when that Buddha appeared and started shouting at me. And I'm a long way from having the kind of balance necessary to, I don't know, what could I, I think maybe if I make a, maybe if I had just fallen over and, and covered my ears and said, ow, ow, I'm so sorry, stop, stop, you know, what might have happened then? I don't know. I don't know, uh, Hogan. Thanks for listening. It's really hard to use that storyteller that the only response is just to laugh. <laughs> but I hope that wasn't, I mean, I feel with you. It was, really a, it was a really hard felt situation for you. And particularly one thing that reminds me of that is actually an instruction. And it's a very um, kind of like a core instruction. Uh, if you want to find yourself, your ego, yourself clinging, just be blamed. Imagine being blamed. <laughs> so you had a situation happening <laughs> and you were able to, you know, oh, here is myself clinging. I want, you know, like you're still thinking about how can I get the situation to be, you know, in a way that's agreeable for me, you know. But it was not an agreeable situation and, and it's hard to respond to a situation like that. You didn't know it wasn't free stuff. And but it's like being accused for something that you, you know, you're misunderstood. All of these are like perfect things to take on to see, okay, who is offended here right now? Who is it right now that's, um, that, that wants to do something with the situation, can't let it just stand there, you know? It's not just like somebody waving at you. What? What? I was saying, yeah, thank you. That allows me to form the question, what dreams was I, were I clinging to then and what dreams am I clinging to now as I feel the flutter in my chest about yeah. avoiding blame, being blamed, about yeah. not making mistakes, about yeah. having the perfect response. Yeah, and sometimes it's kind of shocking how deep that um, response can be, uh, not wanting to blame either based on our own personal um, history of, you know, having been unjustly blamed in the past, or also very collectively. I mean, you're tapping again in a very Abrahamic um, storytelling where, you know, the being blamed is just like so archetypical. It's just almost like beyond our rational mind, you know, of like wanting to be righteous and not wanting to be blamed. It's just, you know, very archetypical story in our culture um, that we share. That's not only your own story. Sometimes we just flutter also because we're in a story that's not just our own. Um, but it is a story, like you're saying. It's a dream. It's a story. And finding that sometimes you really need that space, and that's where the concentration comes in, right? Making that faith, you know, it's 
faith that this is not the end of the story. There's more to it. There's more to be learned here. That could be just alone to believe that this happened, just that something for you is to be learned that you wouldn't have been learned otherwise. Or for this man, for that matter, maybe he is learning a lesson right now. Um, from there into like putting energy into it, you know, inquiry, loving kindness, compassion. Yeah. I really appreciate, I really appreciate uh, what I heard is um, a permission for you and encouragement for you to have faith that as it continues to re-arise in me that uh, there's still something to be digested and, uh, and learned. And also faith that it's inherently good. It doesn't feel good, but inherently it's a good thing. Yeah. 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 Right, right. It's, it's the, the hell I'm diving into. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, or just also seeing you get an opportunity to study hell from a perspective you know, from a spacious sandal, from, you know, a good company, from a partner that's, you know, right there to, you know, comfort you. Like you, you get a piece of hell in a digestible version, <laughs> a digestible version of hell. And, or if it's really uncomfortable, you know where to go to with your discomfort. So, so manage like some kind of form of um, being able to receive it. And rather than some situation, you know, we wouldn't talk like this if you were shivering still, you know, and your science would be would be harder, then that wouldn't be appropriate to talk like that, because then we would really do have to focus on you coming on a safe place emotionally and spiritually. But it sounds like you mentioning yourself, yeah, I can, can see that this is, can be a dream, I actually have a little distance, and then we can talk like that, you know, so it has all kind of various degrees of appropriateness. Um, of how to meet meet the pain and meet, meet the discomfort of our life and 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 <laughs> unjust situations yeah I, I also want to thank uh hogan my who's one of my teachers here you know for uh going deeper like to angie's teaching but i think he mainly see actually that uh because i am rebellious i have come and gone from zen and tibetan buddhism several times because I like to see, I like to see Buddhas everywhere. But Hogan pointed out that if you want to see Buddhas everywhere, you know, don't make anything special out of the Buddhas that you, that you see, you know, because then that's caused kind of another kind of separation. But well, that's my the, wish. The, yeah. That's yeah. my wish to not, to not be to not have it be in robes and zendo and, you know, you know, because that's where it stays then, you know, it's like, you know, my aspiration is that this is widespread and permeates like the fan. Yeah. That's what, that's what she was trying to tell me, like, you know, yeah. make it permeate everywhere. Yeah. There's a Zen saying cover heaven and earth. Like, you know, but, uh, Anyway, uh, each one of us has a different. Uh, I'm, I'm from a I'm from Abrahamic culture also, but uh, <laughs> from a Islamic culture, so Sufi culture. Each one of us has a different gate into the Dharma. But Hogan clarified for me the the barrier to this gate inside me. So as as usual, as he often does. So <laughs> thank you, Hogan. Thank you. Hogan. 
Yes, no expectations about how Buddhas look like or act or do. <laughs> they're rational Buddhas, right? <laughs> they're like, they're like, they're, they're coming all size, shape, and forms. I mean, um, it's not they, it's us, you know? Like, what, what we're be open, do stay receptive, I guess is the bottom line of what we're saying and keep being open even if something feels unbearable or keep being open even if something um, yeah. Somebody want to say something? I think that was Corinne. I want to thank you so much for today and um, yeah, it's great. So Shoho, I wanted to thank you so much for today and it's wonderful to see you again. Um, and you are so generous every time I've, uh, you teach that I have heard you. You just create this open space where people are comfortable to ask questions and share, um, maybe in a way that they wouldn't <clears throat> have in a more formal kind of presentation. And uh, I just noticed that it's really uh, um, generous of you and people respond. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. There's one other thing I wanted to tell you. Um, I am not consciously uh, committing to memory the uh, song of the trusting mind mm -hmm. and I am so uh, just uh, the, it's like having a teacher whispering in your ear like continually in memorizing it and it's so supportive i never dreamed it would be like that good glad glad to hear keep going <laughs> yeah thank you everyone i'm going thank to thank you everyone yeah this has been lovely thank you Thank you for your time. Thank you for your generosity. No, thank you for this. I wanted to say I appreciated. I wanted to say I appreciated your formulation of the of the what? Of the Sorry, the uh, connection. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on. You refer to the Abrahamic residue. Oh yeah. I, I like that formulation. So yeah, I like thank you for that. Yeah. And I'm sometimes shocked of how many traces of it are still you know, coming around. You know, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so we, I think we even find it in the translations of the sutras and, and sutras that we're reading. So it's, it's, it's right there. And it's, um, it's part of the tension on the surface that yes. I find that I'm, I uh, work with. We all do. I think we all are working on trying to relieve that tension so we can come to a more clear view. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.